Thank you, Susan, both for that powerful reading and your marvelous prayer this morning. And to the choir and Miss Tina. Y'all make it tough on an old man. <laughs> Give me a break. But all during the anthem, I'm seeing my grandfather. Bayou Chico United Methodist Church, Bayou Chico, Louisiana. Do I have Cajun in my heritage? Not at all. What made you think about that? <laughs> Papa was the song leader of that church, and I swear that was his very favorite. And he's been dead close to 40 years, and yet I can still say, this is my story. You know, he could get with the program, not always on key, but he was with the program. <laughs> it is a pleasure and a privilege to be here once again this morning. Susan read from uh, the King James Version. Uh, I'm going to uh, reiterate that just a little bit with a few verses from the gospel according to dummy, my own version in other words. How long, O oh Lord, are you going to forget me here and leave me to my own devices forever? How long am I going to have to hurt like this? Are you going to play peekaboo and hide your face with me for all eternity? Good questions. And I hope you'll pray with me as we uh, deal with these this morning. Some of you who know me well enough know that I deeply love and appreciate those Cajun uh, and other Southern humorists who can poke fun at us who can make us laugh at ourselves and yet force us to kind of hold that mirror up and, and look seriously at ourselves all at the same time. Here, I think of the likes of Cajun humorist Justin Wilson. Some of y'all might remember his cooking show. And good old redneck Jeff Foxworthy. But I believe that the best one of the lot of these guys is Tommy Palmer's old buddy, Jerry Clower. Huh, Tommy? I told you I was going to preach you about you. Tommy's been nervous all morning. I just, I love Clower's stories. And, and one of my, my favorites was when old whomever or old uncle whomever and and cousin what's his name and you know and I never can keep up with him went out coon hunting one night remember that in Tommy yes I do uncle Percy and they chased uh, they, they went out coon hunting they chased this coon up a tree and they tried to shake him down. They couldn't shake him down. So one of them got the bright idea he was going to go up there and get the coon up in the tree. Now, fortunately, or unfortunately for them, fortunately for us and our sense of humor, there was also a wildcat up in that tree. And man and beast go to scrapping about who had the most right to be up in that tree in the first place. And according to Jerry, all the hooping and hollering you never heard before until finally the guy who was up in the tree had just about all of that fun he could stand. And he told one down on the ground, he said, 
shoot up here. Come on, hurry up, shoot. And the guy on the ground yelled back up, I can't shoot up there, I might hit you. And the guy up there scrapping with the wildcat says, I don't care, just shoot up here amongst us and give one of us some ease. <laughs> My dad had his own version of that. When something would get kind of hairy, particularly a traffic situation, and things were all bottled up, and, and he couldn't get where he was going as fast as he always wanted to get there, Dad, in his frustration, would, would yell out behind the wheel, Do something, even if it's wrong! I kind of think that's what Jerry's buddy up the tree was, was hollering. And I'm sure it's what David was yelling at God when he penned Psalm 13. God, I'm in a pickle up here. I don't much care what you do, but do something even if it's wrong. Did you hear that when Susan read it? You know, it doesn't take a theologian or a biblical scholar to interpret that as Susan told us, but to begin with, this psalm was written in a particularly difficult time in David's life. Things were obviously not going particularly well for him. He was feeling alone and abandoned, neglected, maybe even a little abused by his enemies, by his life, perhaps by his family, and most assuredly by God. And in his pain, his fear, his frustration, his anxiety, David had begun to wonder if God had forgotten him. God had hidden his face from him, and if this situation would go on interminably, forever. And you know what? I think I know what David was going through. And I bet each and every one of you do as well. Life can hold some pretty disturbing and painful and perplexing realities for us with which we all have to deal from time to time. Fears, frustration, failure, family problems, financial pressure, work-related stress, broken relationships, aging parents... Aging selves, rebellious children, debilitating illness, marital difficulty, a society that seems to be headed you know where in a handbasket and doesn't seem to know or care. And I can go on and on and on, but I won't. You know, in those times like that, we worry and we fret and Shoot, we might even pray. And yet, so often it just seems like it goes on and on and on, and, and nothing ever really seems to happen, you know. And, and playing peekaboo with a baby is a whole lot of fun, isn't it? But it's not so much fun when God's playing peekaboo with us. And so it was with David and, and in our time, those times when we're going through stuff, we're inclined to cry out, How long, O oh Lord, are you just going to sit on your hands and rear back on your thumbs and do nothing? Well, can I let you in on a little secret here? I'm going to do it anyway. 
regardless of what you may have heard from well-meaning friends, church members, and whatever, I believe that the mere fact that we're crying out to God in such situations, that even we may be shaking our fists at the very heavens, that does not reflect a lack of trust or faith in God. In fact, it's the very opposite. Crying out to God, maybe even in questioning God's judgment, God's sanity, perhaps his love or his care for us, questioning God's ability, or even questioning whether God exists or not, to me are strong indications of just how real and important God is to us. We don't cry out to a non-entity, do we? We don't yell at those things we don't think exist. Those things that have nothing to do with it. Who do we yell at? Those closest to us. (laughs) And the proof of that, I think, is in the Bible itself. My favorite Old Testament character is Moses. I've got a lot of good, you know, favorites, but he is, he's top of the list. Mainly because I've spent my own 40 years in the wilderness trying to lead, lead God's stiff-necked people just like Moses did. The prophets looked at the mess that the Israelites had created, you know, and they wondered where God was and what he was going to do and how in the world he was going to bail them out of the mess that they had made for themselves and life around them. And even Jesus, you remember? Even Jesus, Good Friday, late in the afternoon. My God, my God, why have you forgotten me, forsaken me, abandoned me? In those times when we feel God far from us, when we're angry at heaven and frustrated with the Almighty, I kind of think those might be the times that God is actually closest to us. You ever thought about it that way? I mean, during one of Moses' temper tantrums, God somehow or another picked him up and put him in the cleft of the rock. You remember that great story? And God put God's hand, whatever that is, over Moses' face and his eyes, and God walked past him, and Moses saw only God's backside as God passed by. And to me, that's a great story because it reminds us of a fundamental truth, and that is we never see God coming toward us, and we usually don't see God when he's right there in front of us. Where do we see God? After he's gone by us, and after he's already done what it is he did. We only see God in retrospect. Some years ago, the members of a Sunday school class were asked to name their favorite biblical passage, particularly when things got tough. There were various answers. One young man cited Psalm 23 that we studied last week. The Lord is my shepherd. 
I shall not wander, as the little girl said one time, that's all I want, which I think is pretty good, uh, pretty good rendition of it. Middle-aged lady said it was Psalm 36, God is my refuge and strength, the very present help for me in times of trouble. Another referred to John 16, where in the upper room, Jesus told his disciples, in this world, you will have trials and tribulations, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Right about then, I'm told, old Mr. John stood up. And Mr. John was in his 80s. His hair was white and curly, his skin dark and wrinkled. Mr. John's head was bowed and his shoulders were stooped from decades of hard work, a hard life, more than a few heartaches. And yet there was nothing wrong with Mr. John's voice or his spirit as he told the class the verse, and it came to pass is mentioned 85 times in the Bible. And it came to pass. Now I'm told that the younger members of that class kind of thought that old Mr. John must be starting to lose it. And some of them, you know how kids are sometimes, you know, started to, to snicker. But that snickering turned to stone cold silence when the old gen- gentleman continued. He said, when I was 30, I lost my job. And I had a wife and six hungry kids to feed, and I didn't know how we were going to make it. At 40, he said, my oldest son was killed overseas in the war, and that knocked me flat. When I was 50, my house burned to the ground with everything in it. Nothing was saved, and I didn't have insurance. Then when I was 60, my wife of 40 years got cancer. And as it slowly ate away at her, we cried many a night on our knees in prayer. She died at 65, he said, and I, I still miss her. And he told that class, he said, the agony I went through in each of these situations was almost unbearable, and I wondered where in the world was God? But each time I looked at the Bible and I found one of those 85 times that it said, and it came to pass. And I felt like God was telling me that my pain and my circumstances were likewise going to pass and that God was going to see me through it regardless of what it might seem like at the time. And with that, Mr. John stopped speaking and slowly sat down. You know, my friends, in his wisdom, God has given us two ears, but only one mouth. 
Those of you who know me best might think it funny what I'm going to tell you next, but it might be, be uh, it has been said that God may have intended for us to listen twice as much as we speak. Because when we're yelling, whether we're yelling at God or one another, or as I've been known to do a few times in my life, even at myself, you ever done that? I thought so. Whenever we've got our mouth open, our ears are generally closed and we can't hear or understand what's going on around us. Kind of like Elijah in the Old Testament book of 1 Kings. Elijah had the faith to call down the very fires of heaven to consume his sacrifice to God there on Mount Carmel. And after that happened, I, uh, Elijah almost single-handedly eliminated some 400 priests of the pagan god Baal, or as most people call him, Baal. But in so doing, you remember, he incited the wrath of old Queen Jezebel. Jezebel threatened Elijah. I'm going to do the same thing to you you did to my priests. Well, guess what? He's more afraid of one woman than he is of 400 men. I understand that. So when Jezebel, you know, made that threat against Elijah, he lit a shuck. Headed for the wilderness of the Sinai Peninsula. Folks, I've never been to the Sinai, but I've flown over it. If there is ever a desolate place where God can't possibly be, it's in the Sinai. But guess what? Elijah found out he couldn't run away from from God, even if he was trying to run away from Jezebel. And he was as as he was hiding deep in that cave there in the mountains. In the so-called safety of this relatively secluded place, he began to wail his fear and his frustration to the very heavens. Anything out there in the middle of nowhere that would listen. And as he did so, there came a strong wind. But God, we're told, wasn't in the wind. Then there was a great fire, although I have no idea what on earth in the barren Sinai could possibly burn. But there came a fire. And then there was a mighty earthquake. But God was in none of these things, although I expect God caused them. Okay. But then came that still, small voice in which God told Elijah to return to Israel and to go back to doing the work that God had him doing before he chickened out and ran away to Sinai. In his fear during that time of wind and and fire and, and earthquake, Elijah quit yelling at God. And it was only when he shut up long enough that he was able to hear the voice of God calling to him. 
How long, O Lord? And it came to pass. When our trials and tribulations seem to be with us forever, when God seems to be oblivious to us, when our prayers don't seem to make it past the ceiling, when we feel that our pain and our fear and our frustration is all that there is to life, we need to remember, I think, old Mr. John and his favorite verse. And it came to pass. We need to remember Elijah and that still small voice which came to him after the turmoil and the fear of earth, wind, and fire. You ever know where that group got its name? There it is. Moses, who saw only God's backside while he was trying to lead the people of Israel into that promised land. And we need to remember King David as well. Because David discovered once again what he really knew all along. That God does care. That God does respond. It's just that God does these things in his own way. And in his own sweet time. And as the psalm concludes, David gives God praise. The praise God deserves because even in his anger and pain and frustration, David knew that God was the only place that he could find relief and the only one that would meet his needs. And so he concludes again in the gospel according to Dummy. But I have trusted in your steadfast love, and so I know that someday, some way, my heart will rejoice in your salvation. The time will come when I will again sing to the Lord, for I know that he will have dealt bountifully with me once more. We thank God today for God's word. God's love and God's presence, whether we feel it with us or not, it's there.